In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. In those days, the days that we're talking about today, the world was a dark place. In those days, the Caesar ruled as a self-proclaimed God. Everything was for his benefit and his benefit alone and never the people. And citizens were, reco- were required by law to acknowledge him as a God. It was in those days that the Roman Empire would tax the Jewish people upwards to 90% of their income. And there were no social programs to help bail them out of times got hard. It was in those days that women and children were considered expendable, simply pieces of property, specifically a man's property, and could be bought, sold, traded for cash or cattle. In those days, the Roman Empire was a very dark place to be. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. It is in those days, those dark days, that a child is born. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, saying, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. In those days, in those dark days, God entered the world the same way that every person who has ever lived enters the world as a baby. And that baby brought with him a light. And that light would change the world. It is not just my opinion, but the opinion of many that no single other person has changed the world more than Jesus has. As a matter of fact, Time magazine claims that it's not merely an opinion when they announced that Jesus was the most significant figure in history. They said it was based on actual data. One scholar who taught at Yale and writes in a book called Jesus Across the Centuries says that regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Even if you don't believe Jesus to be the sinless son of God, I don't know anyone who would flat out deny his influence on not just Western culture, but the world's culture in the past 2,000 years. But for those of us who do believe that Jesus is 
the sinless son of God. It is by his name that millions curse the darkness. And it is by the name of Jesus that millions more pray for light. Perhaps today you're joining us and you are one of those people praying to curse the darkness, praying for the light. But if you are not, then I pray that your time with us today would be moving, challenging, and that you would feel God's acceptance wherever you're watching or listening from. I hope that by the time we get done today, that you will consider letting Jesus be the light in your life. In this series that we've called Before Christmas, we've looked at prophets who prophesied things about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth, and that these prophecies told us things not just about Jesus, the details in which he would come, the signs and and wonders and the miracles that he would do that would say that this indeed is not a fraud, that this indeed is the sinless son of God. But they also, also prophesied things that Jesus would give to all people, like Micah, who prophesies that not only would Jesus be born in Bethlehem, a no-name town, unincorporated. But he also promised that Jesus would be our peace. Biblical peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather it's a wholeness within ourselves, no matter our situation or our circumstances. That the peace and the assurance that we have, it doesn't waver when we're having good days or when we're having bad days, that the peace we experience isn't based on the next promotion, the next raise. It's not based on who wins or loses the big game on Sunday. It's not based on what my spouse chooses to do or not to do. It's not based on what my kids choose to do or what they don't do. It's not based on whatever or whoever the world decides to be, but my peace is based on Jesus. And this year has indeed been challenging for everyone. Yes, we had a general election in a country that seems to be ever polarizing with our politics. Some people were relieved with the results while other people are frustrated and continue to deny the results. The COVID-19 virus has affected every person everywhere around the world, whether or not you wanted it to. You might have gotten sick or someone you loved got sick. Perhaps they died. You likely lost money, if not your job, altogether. You haven't seen friends or family or other people in almost a year. Or you've had to go into work every day as if there's not a global pandemic That's killing hundreds of thousands and millions of people to make ends meet. But Jesus gives us a peace that does not waver based on who wins an election and who loses it in this country or in any country. Jesus's peace doesn't waver based on what the case activity is for the virus. Jesus's peace doesn't waver if you get to work from home and continue to earn or If you have to continue to go into work, or if you're in the middle, you are at home and you're not working and so you don't get paid, Jesus's peace does not waver. That does not mean that you do not feel anxious from time to time. 
To feel anxious is to be human, but to feel anxious is to remind us to pray, to come to God and to call out to him and say, in this moment, Lord, I need peace. We're so excited for our church earlier this year as we were revving up into an Easter Sunday that was going to be great. We were using Eventbrite to, to manage the tickets and the people since we had so many people who had come out last year. We wanted to make it a really great event and we were, um, those tickets were free, but people were registering really rapidly. It looked like we were going to have um, another hundred or so people join us and uh, within a matter of three weeks, not only did we get shut down from in-person gatherings, we had to cancel that Easter event. I was hoping that, well, maybe by fall we could open up one of our in-person services and then by January or February we could open up the other one and then pretty much by next Easter we could have both in-person services going again. And right now I think that we'll be lucky if we can get one in-person service going by Easter and hopefully by next fall we can get the second location going. And this causes me anxiety as I see people, friends and family People in our Madison Church community, this causes me anxiety as I, as I see people disengage. It causes me stress as I see people get disconnected. It causes me stress because it feels like all of the momentum that we had been working toward for weeks, months, and years seems to dissipate. Most times this year, I feel like I've worked 10 times harder than normal for half of the results. I feel anxiety and stress about that. But that's a reminder to me that because of Christmas, because of the birth of Christ, I have peace. It doesn't waver based on the situation and circumstances of the virus and what's going on at our church, but that I believe that Jesus is still the Lord of my life and the Lord of this church and wants us to be here. Because of Christmas, We can look back at Isaiah who prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would give us a reason for faith. As I mentioned, this year has been crazy and chaotic for a number of reasons. And perhaps it is in this season that God has been speaking to you. I know that to be true. I know people who are texting me or calling me and speaking to me and they're saying, I feel like God maybe is telling me that this time, this now that I'm suddenly and unexpectedly unemployed, is a time to switch careers. I've been thinking about it for years, Stephen, but now I, I think that this is the time to do that. I've been thinking about going back to school for years and, and now I'm going to do that. And because of Jesus, we have a wonderful counselor that we can go and ask for advice. You don't have to guess what you should do next. You don't have to hope for the best and just walk into it and, and, and cross your fingers. You don't have to do that because you can go to Jesus And you can pray and say, God, give me wisdom. Give me advice. God, give me a feeling. Show me a way. Show me a sign. Open a door. Close a door. You are the wonderful counselor, God. My reason for faith. Show me what should I be doing in January or July? What should my 2021 goals be? What should my expectations be for next year? Is this the year of a career change. Now, this doesn't mean that you have life all figured out. It doesn't mean you're not going to be confused or curious or feel like God isn't speaking to you. And that doesn't show a lack of faith on your part. Again, it just shows that you are human. We will all have doubts. There will be times where we don't feel like we can hear from God very clearly. But Isaiah says, because of Jesus, we can have faith. And then those moments in which God does speak to us, it is so worth the faith. It gives us a reason for our faith. 
Jeremiah writes how Jesus will come into the world, the family line of David, and that he will be our hope. That Jesus will be our hope. And biblical hope isn't blind optimism that I hope that the best comes out of this situation, but rather biblical hope looks back on the life of Jesus and then looks forward again to the new world, this new kingdom of God, this paradise and heaven. That doesn't mean that we won't grieve. Um, Earlier this week, I found out on Monday that my 14-year-old cousin, uh, Xavier, had passed away. His death was sudden, unexpected, and self-inflicted. It's probably the most devastating thing that's happened to our family in what's been a very devastating year. Many of you, many of us, myself included, struggle with, fight with, battle daily with mental illness. And chances are like me, you know someone, love someone, were related to someone who lost their battle with it. It's hard to imagine having hope like this. And by the time you're watching this, I will have already done the funeral. And it's hard as I think about going into this funeral and looking at his mom and his dad and all the aunts and uncles and cousins who are just absolutely heartbroken, his teammates and his peers at school. And as I look at all of them, how can I possibly speak to the hope that we have in this situation? But I plan to, because I plan to speak to the hope, not that we won't grieve, but that we do not grieve like those without hope. That his battle with mental illness is over because he is now in a kingdom where there is no mental illness. That he is now in a kingdom where peace reigns. And while I miss him and his family misses him even more and, and we grieve the future that we won't have, We also look forward to the future that we do have because of eternity. Because Jesus has come to earth as a baby, as the light. We are promised that this is not all there is. And that is great news. Because life would be incredibly and immensely depressive if this was all that there is. I'm positive that one day I will see my cousin again. I'm positive right now that he is with my grandpa who passed away a couple years ago right now, enjoying the finer things in paradise. I do absolutely grieve now. My soul feels heavy, as any of you who have lost a family member knows. But I grieve today as someone with hope. And because of Jesus, Malachi says that he is the proof that God loves us, that God loved us so much that he would send himself, and that he would send a front runner, John, to prepare for Jesus's ministry. And because of this, we ought to respond in love to those around us. 
I was thinking about it today as I saw something on Facebook, like you see a million things on Facebook a day, but something that kind of irritated me. And it was, it was another church doing something somewhere else. And, and of course, they're, you know, they're doing great things and they're having fun and, and all of that. But um, some of the theology and the philosophies of ministry just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and, and I began thinking to myself, I'm like, man, but, but they're, they're crushing it. And, um, and then I thought, you know, but the things that irk me are also the things that caused me to start Madison Church. They're probably the things that have brought you to Madison Church as well. If you come to Madison Church as, either as a regular or a member, or um, you'd consider us your home church, it's probably the things that make us different or the things that you like. And as I began to think about that, I thought, what? there's this even greater burden then for you and me to go out and be the light, to show God's love to other people. Because we are different at Madison Church. We're a little quirky, a little weird. We sincerely care about people. We know details about people's lives. We check in on people. That's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. And I was thinking about it today, and I'm thinking, how have I, how have we, those of us who are out here on the fringes, not just at Madison Church, but aren't kind of like this mainline thing, how have we let other people hijack our faith that we don't want to admit that we have faith because we don't want to be associated with them. But meanwhile, we've got this great community that we do have, so, but we don't want to be associated with them. So we don't say anything. And so that there are these people over here who will never, ever know about this thing that we have. And I thought that should not be. Look, I can't speak on their behalf. It annoys me on some of the things that they do and some of the things that they say, especially in this season of life that we have found ourselves in. But my resolve going forward is that because of the love of God in my life, in this community that we have at Madison Church, that I need to be more missional. I need to be more active. I need to share my faith and not fear that, well, will they associate me with those other Christians? I can't worry about that. I need to show them that this is different. What's remarkable about the entire story of God, the entire story of Jesus, this Christmas story, is that God comes to us. God makes you a priority. God made me a priority. God made people a priority. He didn't send someone else to do the job. He didn't send someone else on a coffee run, on a salvation run. He didn't send a messenger to come down and say, that's the way to God. This is what you need to do to get to heaven. But rather Jesus comes. He lives the life you and I should have lived. The perfect life where he doesn't hurt anyone else. He doesn't hurt his own relationship with God. And then he dies a death. A death that we have brought onto the world because we have chosen selfish actions. And that has a ripple effect in this present life. And when Jesus comes, his instructions are absolutely challenging and simple. He simply says, come, follow me. And there lies the challenge. Jesus doesn't point to the mountain and say, God's up there. Bring a backpack. Jesus comes down from the mountain, says, God's up there and he sent me. Now take my hand. And follow me up the mountain. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller writes, Religion says, I obey. 
therefore I am accepted. Followers of Jesus say, I am accepted, therefore I obey. It's a profound difference. One that says that, well, if I do these things that I'll get into heaven, or if I do these things, God won't be angry. But as followers of Jesus, I walk in this acceptance already, knowing that I don't have to earn it and I can't lose it. So therefore I walk with Jesus this Christmas. I want you to know wherever you are watching or listening from, whether it's December 20th, 24th, 25th, sometime in the future, that you are accepted. You are unconditionally loved by a heavenly father who desperately seeks you out, who wants to know you so much that he leaves the throne of heaven, comes down as one of us, and says, come, follow me, and I'll show you the way. Just like he did in those days. And these days, Jesus comes in to our dark world and says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So my question, my challenge, the application, it all comes down to this. Will you let Jesus be the light of your light? Will you let his light in? Because his light will give you peace. No matter how much anxiety you feel, his light will give you faith. Even when you doubt, his light will give you hope even when you grieve and his light will give you love. Jesus has been the light in my darkest days when anxiety has been uncontrollable, when I had depressive thoughts, suicidal thoughts in high school, when I felt so lonely, when I felt so worthless, Jesus came into my life as a light and told me otherwise. And I hope that today you're hearing him say that about you as well. No matter how insignificant you might think you are, Jesus thought you were worth dying for. No matter how worthless that family member said you were, no matter how mean the comments your boss said you were, or whatever it might be, God said, I see you. I want to know you. And I thought you were worth dying for. We all have dark places in our lives but why carry that anymore? Why not let the light of Jesus into the dark places in our lives to show us that there really is a better way. If you want Jesus to be the light of your life, commit yourself to God, commit yourself to following Jesus and commit yourself to being led by the Holy spirit from this day forward. Tonight we celebrate on a holy night, 2000 years ago, that a savior was born and that savior is the light of the world. It was on that dark, dark night that this light of Christ entered into the world as a baby. And when you and I ask the light of Christ to guide our life, he comes into our lives and our very lives become a light 
to other people. So Jesus goes from being the light to saying to you and me, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let this candle be a commitment or recommitment that Christ will provide a light in your life. And in doing so, you will be a light to others.